We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. On letting go. The first part was the big picture why. Why do we let go? It was the big picture what. What is it we are really trying to let go of? Now the rest of the lesson will be very practical. It will be the how. How do we let go? Now during the why and the what part of the lesson, we said this, when we get to the part we're to now, get to the practical things, it won't be about the things. The curriculum does invite us to let go of some very tangible things, and we will talk about one of them today. But it is not going to be about the thing or any of the things. It's about what happens to us when we let go of the tangible things. And what happens is these exercises in letting go of very tangible things help weaken the hold that our childhood inherited, our culturally imposed upon, our family of origin instinct, our evolutionary brain helps us let go of the lesser versions of self that we so consistently live in, the lesser version of me. That's ultimately what we are letting go. And those versions of me are embedded too deeply for us to get at them directly. Those versions of me are water to a fish. We don't even see it. It's air that you and I breathe. We don't even see it. So letting go of the distorted self and doing that directly, it really isn't going to happen. So thank you, religion. Some practices that help us take a step back to start letting go of things we can actually let go of Things that if we will let go of them, sometimes even without realizing that it's happening, will help us begin to let go of these distorted versions of self. In these practical practices, as we're going to see, we will perhaps be, here's an example, letting go of a possession or letting go of a tangible thing. When I was in my 30s, I sold a car, and I did it as a spiritual exercise. I've actually had a couple of significant spiritual exercises happen around cars, but by then I was married, and so Denise and I were uh, making this a joint exercise. I'll just tell you my part of the experience. It was a Volvo, and when we were in California, Volvos were much more of a thing than they are here in North Carolina. But this Volvo had become, in kind of a sneaky way, a point of identity, for me. I thought we bought the car because they're known for their reliability. I thought we bought the car because they're known for their safety. But along the way, my brain began to stitch together a story that told me these kind of people drive this kind of car. And looking at, look at me wanting to identify as this kind of person and look at me feeling that I am that kind of person because I drive a stupid car. Ha, huh, I noticed about myself in one of my quiet moments. Ha, huh, I saw myself thinking. So after talking it over with Denise, I sold the car, and I bought a car that didn't have any status attached to it. 
Now, it wasn't a very difficult exercise. We got another car. I still got around. I still got to the places I needed to go. But I got there without identity in the car with me. But here's the thing. It was never about the car. It's not about nice things. It was about beliefs that I carried in my head. It was about limiting beliefs, not true enough beliefs, what it meant in my story to be me, what it meant to be good, what it meant to be respected, what it meant to be valued. I hope you remember this guy from uh, a few several weeks ago, one of my uh, friends from the 20s, early my 20s, early on my spiritual journey. Here's what he wrote about the letting go curriculum. He said this, we are not discussing the mere lack of things. Lacking will not divest the soul if it craves these things. Rather, we are dealing with the soul's appetites. You could read right there the word compulsions. Letting go of these, letting go of the appetites, letting go of the compulsions, this is what leaves us free even though we may possess them. These kind of people drive that kind of car is not a true enough truth on which to build one's life. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading a book that mentioned a study done on exposure therapy. And it occurred to me as I was reading it, I'll explain to you in a moment what exposure therapy is. It occurred to me uh, that's a little bit what the letting go curriculum does. So the author told about a study, people with, uh, with a debilitating spider phobia. And it turns out this study demonstrated it wasn't as much about the spiders as it was about the limiting beliefs that people had about themselves around spiders. So in the study, there's a tarantula in a glass terrarium in a room. People walk into the room and the participants are invited to get as close as they can to the terrarium with the tarantula. So the average participant walks into the room and stops 10 feet from the terrarium. Then the researchers lead participants through a series of graduated steps, 14 of them. Each step, participants get a little bit and a little bit, a very little bit, closer and closer. So the researcher would explain every step Participants would then rehearse that step in their minds. They would imagine themselves doing that step. Then they would actually do the step. And then they would do an assessment of how that went. They would have some time to recover and then do the next step. So, for example, step one, uh, after they walked in and stayed 10 feet away, was to walk in and now only stand five feet away from the terrarium with the spider in it. Imagine the step, rehearse the step, do the step, recovery time, reassess. By step three, put your palm, not on the terrarium, but on another terrarium next to the terrarium with the spider on it. So explain the step, rehearse the step, imagine it, do it, recover, reassess. Some more intermediate steps. By step seven, direct the tarantula's movement with this very long paintbrush. So just get it to move this way, get it to move that way, and do it five times. Explain, rehearse, imagine, do, recover, reassess. By step nine, let the tarantula walk over your verily heavily gloved hand <laughs> with a very heavy glove on it. By step 14, 
Let the tarantula walk on your uncovered hand. Now the average participant was able to do all 14 steps in about two hours. People who couldn't get within 10 feet of a glass terrarium in two hours have got a big hairy spider walking all over their hands. And here's what was really interesting. Six months later, they could still do it. They could still put their hand and let the spider walk on them. Well, in a sense, the letting go curriculum is a little bit like that. We can't get to letting go of the ego self. We can't get to letting go of the faulty belief self, at least not directly. So, thank you religion, an incremental curriculum to help us start a ways back and give us things that we can do that in the doing will actually change us and will actually expand us. In the doing, we will learn to do the step, yes, that's right, but more than learning to do the step, we will be learning about and accessing the interior architecture. This is how my brain, this is how my body practices letting go. There's an old tiny religious term for letting go. If you are old, you might have heard this in church. The term is mortification. We don't use that word anymore, but you'll recognize the root of it. The root is the word death. In a sense, we are slowly killing off some small part of the ego self. We are starving it of oxygen. We are weakening its hold on us. <clears throat> some part of me that is not my divine center self, but that masquerades as self. The practical practices slowly starve it, slowly weaken it. Fasting is one example of a letting go practice. Again, it's not about food. Food is not bad. Food is good. But we go without it for a little while. Or maybe we go without one of our favorite foods for a little while. And in the going without, we learn to let go. We become more able to let go. Again, it's not about the food. Uh, after a while, I, I, did, I fasted on Wednesdays, uh, every Wednesday for many, many years. After a while, fasting is no longer even difficult. It is no longer the, oh, God, kill me now ordeal that it was when we first start. When we first start fasting, it is very, very difficult. But after a while, it's not even hard. Sometimes you don't even remember it's Wednesday. You just do it. But again, it is not, and it never was about, the food. It's about learning internalizing this strengthening of the architecture that we carry inside of ourselves, how human beings let go. Now eventually, <clears throat> we are able to, by practicing these tangible things, start letting go of truths that we carry around deeply that are not true enough. Beliefs that we carry around deeply that skew our perception of the reality that we live in and the reality we create. And when that happens, right there, waiting to emerge, always in it, we say it every week, we are, every one of us, carriers of inner light. Weaken the hold of the distorted self and the authentic self, the divine center self, emerges immediately. Are you hot? You look hot. 
this was my clue. <laughs> oh, yeah, I said it too early this morning. I'm sorry, it kicked back on. Now, <clears throat> if you grew up in religion, there's a chance that you picked up some misinformation about the letting go curriculum. Maybe you picked up the sense that letting go is about some kind of self-punishment, like the old monks that used to flog themselves uh, as a way of punishing this. Uh, it's not about that. Maybe you picked up the sense that pleasure is bad, that probably God doesn't like it. People uh, who are good don't like pleasure. They probably hurt, and hurt is probably better. You might have picked that perception up. A lot of religious people do. It's not about that either. You might have picked up, you know, if I do pain, it kind of pays for some bad thing that I did. <laughs> and maybe I'll get ahead of the curve, and by imposing pain on myself, maybe God won't impose the pain on me later. Yeah, it is not that. Again, John of the Cross, remember what he said. It's not about the stuff. Stuff is good. We need stuff. It's about stuff not having undue influence on us. But even more than that, it's about being free of the interior beliefs and the interior values that cause us to grab onto stuff and give it its undue influence over us in the first place. So let's talk about our first one. The first practical practice in the curriculum, the one uh, that we're going to talk about today, you're going to be familiar with. We talk about it every year, and I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. <laughs> I'm not going to name it yet because we do this thing in our brains, and I'm hoping this morning we don't do it. We have a go-to response that comes under the heading Familiarity breeds contempt. We tend, when we become familiar with something, to take it for granted. We tend to become dismissive of something we have heard before because we think to ourselves, eh, I already know that, I've got it, it's filed away, let's move on to something new. But here's the thing. You might know this practice. I'm sure you do. If you've been around for uh, a common thread for any length of time, you know this practice. But you might not have, knowing it, you might not have internalized it. You might not have experienced what this practice will do for us if we are steady in it. And if that's the case, that you know it, but you don't know it, then a fresh hearing might behoove us. So I won't tell you until the very end what the practice is. Let's come at it in a roundabout way that we often come about things and hopefully not elicit the automated dismissal response. And let's do it in a way that we often do by talking again about evolution brain. So do this with me if you would. Let's use our brains for a moment to look at our brains. All right, get ready. We're going to be looking at our own brains with our brains. <laughs> so looking at your brain and how it works, which one of these does your brain generate more energy around? Does your brain generate more energy around a loving caress from someone very dear to you or an accusation from someone very dear to you? A loving caress or, oh God, you're just like your father. 
Which one of those generates more energy? Which one gets more attention? Which one gets more focus? Odds are it's the accusation. Or this. Maybe it's not your partner. Maybe it's your boss. Good job. Well done. Or not good. Not good at all. Which one gets more focus? Which one gets more energy? Or a traffic jam that makes you late? Or a string of green lights that makes you early? Or your complete computer glitches? Your computer malfunctions? Or your computer works just like it's supposed to? <laughs> Which one gets more energy or more focus? Recently, Google Docs changed how they move files. I move files all the time. I am embarrassed to admit how much energy and how many foul words came out of my mouth because I couldn't get files to go where the files needed to go. <laughs> or maybe your day runs very smoothly and you get more done than you planned or everything goes to hell in a handbasket. You don't get anything done. Which one creates more energy? Now, you, <clears throat> you kind of know by just looking at your own brain which one of those tends to get more energy. And there's a term for our brains when our brains are doing that thing because it happens to all human beings because it's not just a you trait. It's an all of us trait. You probably know the term. It's called negativity bias. Our brains give more weight, give more attention to negative experiences. Negative gets more impact, uh, has more impact on us than does positive. We dwell more on negative than we do on positive. We have stronger emotional reactions to negative than we do to positive. Negative experiences don't matter more. They are not more true. They are not more real. They are not more important. But they do get a whole bunch more attention because evolution brain. And that's, we've talked about this before, a million years ago, to stay alive in the wild. Our brains developed this capacity because ancestors who had a negativity bias were less likely to be eaten by bears, less likely to be poisoned by berries. Those who gave more focus and more attention to threats and challenges did better not being eaten by threats and challenges and consequently were more likely to live through the dangers, more likely to speak around the fire about the dangers so they and their tribe avoided dangers, did not die, had babies, passed their brain biases on to their babies, passed their brain biases on to us. A very important survival adaptation. The only problem, there are not a lot of bears on Capitol Boulevard. <laughs> And there are not a lot of poison berries in the produce section at Food Lion. We no longer live on the grasslands of East Africa. We no longer face the threats that our brains evolved to face. Our problems are not really red in tooth and claw kinds of problems. In fact, our problems mostly come from the very survival adaptation, negativity bias, extra anxiety, extra pessimism, extra stress, a skewed perception of reality, that's actually killing more of us than our bears or berries. Our brains still prioritize negative information. But in the environment that we live in now, that causes an unhealthy amount of an unnecessary amount of anxiety and stress and harm. So, look at your brain again and ask this. Does that happen in your head? <clears throat> More anxiety than your survival actually requires? Do you ever 
grind away in the night, giving negative stuff more energy than it really needs? There's a very good chance, yes, because we collectively do that. Our society is in the middle of an anxiety epidemic. And we are not immune. Of course, we're not immune. So look at religion providing for us a cure to what ails us, a solution for what we need. Look at this fine preacher standing up in front of you telling you, here's what you need to do. You just need to let go. It's easy, people. <laughs> all you got to do is let go of all that extra anxiety. <laughs> See how helpful? Now, sure, millions of years of evolutionary adaptation, but all you got to do is just let go. Too much focus on the negative, turning away with extra anxiety. Your boss says something negative. You uh, give away too much energy to her remark. Just let go. <laughs> All you got to do, your partner, your checkbook, or damn them, Google, unnecessary changes to a perfectly good file management system. Did I mention how much that really bothered me? <laughs> All you got to do is just let go. So helpful. So helpful. But since we can't do that, here's what religion has really done for us. It has given us a curriculum that we can actually do. And if we will do it, we'll create a very new possibility that emerges within us. So <clears throat> now we're ready to talk about what the practice is. You ready? Know that your mind is going to be dismissive. Know that you are going to think to yourself, I already know that. We can practice gratitude. Because that is a practice that we can do, that if we will do, we'll start a process that will take a while, who knows, maybe 14 steps. But it will begin to weaken the hold that negativity bias has in our brains. We can practice gratitude because, sure enough, gratitude begins to dismantle the habituated processes that we've inherited in our brains and that we've reinforced by practice, it will weaken the power of negativity, negativity bias in our brains. Now here's the thing. You already know that. Here's the thing. You've heard it before. Every November you hear me talk about practicing gratitude with intention. So already knowing about gratitude practice, you've probably heard many of my several very helpful tips for practicing gratitude that I give around every Thanksgiving. Like, create a file in your phone, write one grateful thing in it three times a week, make sure you mark it in your calendar when you do, or maybe tie it to, the first, to the, one of the first things you do in your day, like maybe your first sip of coffee. Maybe that's when you put in your gratitude thing. Or create a, create a calendar reminder. Maybe do it on Fridays if that's your slow day where you're going to figure out who you're going to express gratitude to. Someone, personally. Maybe schedule a time. Maybe think about who it's going to be. Maybe think about how you're going to do it. Then schedule the time to actually do it. Make the call. Send the letter. Or... This one has been particularly helpful for me. Ask your friends when you get together, uh, before you do whatever you got together to do, tell me something you're grateful for in the last couple days. Or taste your food. Don't just eat your food. Appreciate it. Taste it. Savor it. Practice that. Or Google the term, how to practice gratitude. There is no shortage of ideas out there. You will not have a problem finding out great ways to practice idea. Go find your idea. 
The ideas are the easy part. The hard part is the motivation. The hard part is sustaining the practice over the time that it's going to take to rewire our brains. That's the commitment over time part. So here's the motivation, simply put. You can live your life run by evolution brain. Lots of people do it. Lots of people come to the end, and that's the life they lived. Or you can experience what the saints and sages have long said is available to every one of us, what we have many times called the more life, more than evolutionary brain. We can emerge into these elevated selves who see more than just our driven instinctive reactions because we are, every one of us, carriers of divine breath. And so in dwelling divine, may we, may you, may I, may we live higher lives. That's what the practices do. Amen. I do hope you will practice gratitude. I hope you do it this week. And I hope you make it a pattern that over your life begins to transform you. All right, um, if you would prepare your offerings, those of you online, you're invited to do that as well. As a matter of fact, we want to spend a little bit of money to try and make the live stream work better for you. And so you might want to uh, send some money in to help us buy the equipment that it's going to take to do that. Um, remember what I say every week, uh, we invest in spiritual community and there is good return on our investment. We give time and energy. We give love. We give affection to each other. The community takes those resources, dollars included, and gives them back to us in the form of an environment that we are designed to thrive in. So we all give online now. It's at the top of the website. That's where we do it. Um, <clears throat> let's get ready to dismiss the folks online, and we're going to open the floor uh, and chat. Um, those of you online, we also do What Are You Thinking uh, online. You can find the link to it there in the YouTube notes. You can also find it um, on the front page of our website. And if you've hung in here this long, we'll tell you what the password is. It is 1417. So if uh, you will go to the link, uh, you will see a group of people who are there to chat about what we've just talked about. And one of the side benefits is over time, if you keep showing up, you end up developing friendships. Uh, you can even do that online, turns out. All right, hope you'll go there. Let's dismiss the folks online. If you would, please put your hand on your heart, and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us carriers the dwelling divine. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness within us because we carry the divine breath. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share the stuff that's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. We are dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.